0: Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, and we hear from our seminarian, Michael Drell, as he preaches on this, the feast day of St. Francis. As always, you can find more sermons or more information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. I often hear people talk about going to nature, or being in nature as somewhere separate from where where they are normally. I've heard such statements several times from others while walking on pilgrimage. Someone might say something like this, Wow, I just love being here in nature. Then I'll say something like this, Well, this has been agricultural land for thousands of years. The soil looks in pretty bad shape. Depleted of nutrients and humus, not much biological activity at all. There's no topsoil to speak of, and this irrigation system is causing terrible erosion, making all, everything worse. <laughs> I don't hear any birds or frogs last night. And up on those hills, all those trees are Australian eucalypt hybrids. It's a timber plantation, perfect rows of exotic species. Any of the old trees I've seen here in Spain were planted by humans. One of these conversations was taking place less than 10 minutes by car to a big city. In fact, we were were in one of the highest corn production areas in the EU, a crop this Spanish ground never saw until colonialism in Mexico and the impacts and interchange of plants across the seas. Now, I am sorry. I wasn't trying to spoil their experience, and we do remain friends. (laughs) But I just am unable to hold my tongue when it comes to trying to be clear about what we are even talking about within creation. I've been worried for some time that the ways we talk about nature or the environment might underpin some of the fundamental issues that prevent necessary shifts in our world. Could we move away from these fantasies of the pure, unspoilt places separate from humans who are so unnatural? In this thinking, we are cast either as gods, God, or aliens. This all strikes me as idolatrous, isolating, disastrous, even suicidal. Now, I'm not saying that I don't appreciate the qualities of places on this planet where human beings haven't constructed dwellings, aren't operating commerce. In fact, those areas where there aren't many humans around can be really nice to spend some time in. But sometimes, and maybe oftentimes in particular landscapes, the only reason there are no people involved in relationship within this ecosystem is because they were murdered or moved on. It is now managed from a separate position. It is a different kind of relationship. Many of the most beautiful landscapes I know in Australia and the Americas are fetishized as being directly envisaged by God and created as they appear. Even when geology and evolution are respected as facts, a lack of appreciation remains for the slow, significant relationships and co-work amongst creation and the divine, over eons. It is important for me to remember that these beautiful places are no more natural than a busy urban market. The way we walk through a national park or a concrete car park, it's all under Christ's yoke, right? Could the gospel today be telling us to identify with yoked animals like oxen? Now, this gospel is often understood in ways that emphasize the unloading of our heavy burdens. But let's start with the rest that is promised us. And then let's pay attention to this yoke that we take on and this learning that we do. We are not unladen or off work. It is light and easy work, but it is work under a yoke. I'll come back to this, but... Allow me to turn to the Feast of St. Francis we joyfully celebrate today. I hope you will be joining us for animal blessings and other learning and fellowship opportunities. In fact, a great way to honor St. Francis today would be to be social. Be social with people, be social with trees and animals and anything around you. Connect, engage, laugh, drink and eat. Be merry within creation, alongside all of creation. St. Francis was born in a small Umbrian city called Assisi, in 1181 or 82. He was born into a wealthy family. He was a party boy, generous and wild with his friends. He also went to battle and was captured and imprisoned. Eventually released, he went back to Assisi and renounced war. Of course, there are many specific stories surrounding his conversion, but for us today, what's important is that it was all-encompassing and fully responded to. St. Francis became fully aware of his brotherhood to all creation. The Feast of St. Francis marks the end of what we've called the season of creation, and the website of the Episcopal Church has this to say. This season of creation from September 1st through October 4th is celebrated by Christians around the world as a time for renewing repairing and restoring our relationship to God, one another, and all of creation. It goes on to say, this year's theme is, listen to the voice of creation. In celebrating the season, we are invited to consider anew our ecological, economic, and political ways of living." The voice of creation. What do we mean by that? The lectionary offers us from Job the voices of mountain goats, deer, wild ass, wild ox, and the ostrich's laughter. We have the threatening voice of the sun and the moon in the psalm. And in the gospel, we have the voice of God from within creation. Now, this is the feast of St. Francis, but I'm not going to talk today about all that is holy, venerable, radical, and miraculous about St. Francis, and the, the narratives of his life. We know there are several famous stories about him in relation to animals, but for me today, it's the canticle of brother Sun that needs our attention. Why do I want to focus on the canticle of brother Sun? What do others have to say about this work? Well, Eloy Leclerc, OFM, wrote that the manner in which Francis here looks at the created world is a key to his inner self, for the canticle undoubtedly has elements that reveal in a special way the personality of its author. G.K. Chesterton wrote, it is a supremely characteristic work, and much of St. Francis could be reconstructed from that work alone. This sounds important and economical. In further economic consideration, I want to talk about just one stanza that is the nugget of gold for me regarding St. Francis and much of any hope I have left. In this ninth stanza, we have reference to our sister Mother Earth, who sustains and governs us. Growing up, I always wanted a sister especially an older one. I was envious of my friends who had older sisters. Sisters seemed to be so wise and cool. I wanted to be governed. I couldn't wait to hear their advice on music and clothes. I was grateful for their guidance. They knew when to break the rules and when not to. And even when they visibly messed that up, there was so much to learn from observing how they managed these situations with adults. They knew things about parents that I only knew I didn't yet know. Being around them and governed by them was educational and exciting. So what does it mean to listen to the wisdom of our big sister? What does her voice say and how would she govern us? And where is our voice in creation? Where is our creaturely voice coming from in this gospel reading? Well, it's the voice of an ox yoked by Christ. And what would we say as an ox, besides how easy and light this work feels, how we are learning from Christ by His yoke, and our relationship to the plodding along of a bigger plan, which we don't even understand. In fact, we are not the person working with the oxen, nor the person who owns or employs that person. We are the beast of burden yoked by Christ to all else, yoked alongside everything incarnate, and ready to be sustained and governed in the work by our sisters, aren't we? If we let go of governance, we can let go of idolatry and the hubris involved in thinking we know what's best. Now, when I say the work, I'm referring to the relating itself, and how all this is intertwined throughout the wild and the domestic, throughout our most intimate family relationships, and the relating to most foreign and distant others. The work is part of all that we know well and understand, as well as everything we can never know. This work appears between and amongst human animals, between and amongst other mammals, and of course across species in coordination with insects and viruses, bacteria, fungi, and minerals. So is our sister mother earth a goddess that made us and has the powers and consciousness of a creator? Or would that make her more of an objectified other in ways that our Christian theology and faith protects against? Idolatry is frowned upon by God because it is othering and objectifying. It is lonely and ultimately dead. But we have living and life-giving examples of subjective relationships with God and amongst creation. The witness of St. Francis is so powerful and radical in this. Abandoning wealth, he literally stripped naked, went hungry, cold, and alone. He had visions of the seraphic Christ. He became bearer of the painful miracle of the wounds of the stigmata. Normally, we think of St. Francis as a birdbath more than a human being with pierced hand flesh. We turn him into an inanimate statue or or a cuddly pet. We other and objectify and certainly commodify him. Like a pet who we burden too heavily, we project on St. Francis the role of making a pet of everything else. The type of relationships we are encouraged by St. Francis to establish are those of kinship, and the work of love. It seems clear to me that we are encouraged to family work and to bring all work to God as family work. All of creation is family. Within creation, our capacities and modalities of relating are hugely diverse, but that we relate as siblings is undeniable and yet remains difficult to absorb. Creation is one generation from God, the Creator. There is only God and creation. In this cosmic family, all of this nature is the same generation as we are. Jesus Christ straddles this relationship in completely unique ways, which are not the direct subject of this sermon, but it is important for us to note well that Jesus Christ is the only place where this unique relationship occurs. As Elizabeth Johnson writes, the incarnation of Jesus conjoined the material conditions of all biological life forms, grasses and trees, and experienced the pain common to all sensitive creatures, sparrows and seals. The flesh assumed in Jesus connects with all humanity all biological life, all soil, the whole matrix of the material universe down to its very roots. Now, the work we undertake with the human and non-human, or more than human, can be varied, but it is always at the level and intimacy of siblings. Even if that is not peaceful or comfortable, it must never become indifferent. Even hatred is a reaching out for relationship, however misguided by evil. It is still part of creation's efforts to live, and in my opinion, shows a desire for God. The bored objectifying idolatry of indifference and apathy disguised the most powerful and deadly poisons. All this work of loving, whether that looks like loving or hating, is secondary to the fact that it is carried out as siblings. And if it's not the work of siblings being sustained and governed, it's not happening in reality at all.